Pay attention, son. This is for your own good. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. you got to get it done. Hey, hello, sports fans. Hey, I regret to inform you that due to some technical difficulties, Uncle Frank could not be here tonight. But we'll try again, maybe next week. Hopefully we get it done. Uh, Still plenty of things to talk about, though. So come on up, have a seat, so that we can talk some sports on the bleachers. Holy cow! Crowd the line of scrimmage. Romo on the shotgun. Here's the snap. Romo looking up to the right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Gentlemen, start your engine! Audio difficulties. Russ Robinson is not with me this week. Well, we did try to record the show, but it seems like there was an audio hum. Kind of like had a low uh, speaker feedback kind of hum, you know, bedroom type of thing. And um, so we went ahead and recorded because I could hear him, and it seemed like he was coming through uh, on the on the recording. Uh, but when I went to do the editing, uh, his voice wasn't there. So, don't know what happened, but we're going to try again, like I said, probably this this next this coming week here and see if we can get that going. Uh, uh, 
I mean, as usual, though, we we had a great had a great time. With, I always do have a good time with Russ when when he comes on the show, and he's a good friend of the show, and he's got a lot of insight, especially when it comes to the SEC, Missouri, uh, that kind of thing, Cardinals as well. So, well, we're going to definitely try to get him back on. Hey, I want to let you know that Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud part of the Gateway City Sports Network. And Gateway City Sports, you can find articles and other podcasts like Team of Rivals with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey, or the brand new, well, maybe brand new to us, they've been around for a while, but the new show, That's a Winner Podcast with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. You know, give us a look see if uh, if you like if there's something you like and we don't follow it, let us know about it. We'll see what we can do for that. Hey, I want to start today on a somber note. Uh, legendary closer for the St. Louis Cardinals in the early '80s and part of the '82 World Series uh, winner, uh, Bruce Suter passed away at the age of 69. He had been battling cancer. Uh, he died Thursday night, October 13th, surrounded by family uh, in Georgia. Uh, Suter was the first pitcher inducted into the Hall of Fame without starting a game. Uh, he was the inventor of the split-fingered fastball, or maybe not the inventor, but at least he was the one that uh, uh, made it work, <laughs> if you will. Uh, he pitched for the Cubs, Cardinals, the Atlanta Braves. He led the National League in saves 79 through 82, and in one other year, uh, winning the Cy Young in 79, he won the Roloids. Roloids, Rolades, <laughs> Relief Man Award four times. He recorded his final save September 9th, 1988, for the Atlanta Braves against the San Diego Padres. Then a statement released, uh, Chad uh, Suter said about his father, All our father ever wanted was to be remembered as being a great teammate, but he was so much more than that. Uh, he said he was also a great husband to our mother for 50 years, a great father and grandfather, and he was a great friend. His love and passion for the game of baseball can only be surpassed by his love and passion for his family. Now, Whitey Herzog said of Suter, he had the best makeup of any closer I'd ever seen. Whitey Herzog said that uh, um, he he just cut the percentages down for me from 27 outs to 21. Because uh, he used them quite a lot in, in two-inning, uh, uh, multiple-inning uh, sets. Uh, um, now, in his Hall of Fame induction, induction speech, Suter said this, When I played, I never needed the spotlight, nor did I want it. I simply wanted to play baseball and be respected by my teammates and the opposing players. So today, my name, Howard Bruce Suter, goes on this plaque. This day is not about me. It's about the many people who, I have, helped, who have helped me along the way. Cardinal owner Bill DeWitt said, Bruce was a fan favorite during his years in St. Louis and in the years to follow. He will always be remembered for his 82 World Series clinching save and signature split-fingered pitch. He was a true pioneer in the game changing the role of the late-inning reliever. And now for me, I was in college when Suter pitched uh, for the Redbirds, and and you knew when it got to the eighth that the game was close here, and number 42 was going to show up at some point and, and uh, come in and take care of business. And, uh, uh, and I just heard the other day, and I looked it up, Suter is the fifth player 
from the 82 World Series team who has passed away. Uh, the others being Joaquin Andahar, Bob Forsh, uh, David Green, and Daryl Porter. Now, I think everybody remembers, and we've all seen the video, uh, the last strikeout of, uh, of uh, Gorman Thomas in, the, in Game 7, and uh, Daryl Porter comes rushing out and jumps in midair, and Suter catches him there on the mound. And, uh, you know, you kind of have to wonder, um, as, did the roles reverse now for Suter's trip into heaven? Uh, I'm sure Daryl Porter's there waiting with open arms for his his teammate and friend. You know, Bruce Suter's a true icon of the game, and he's going to be missed, so... Rest in peace, Bruce. Rest in peace. You know, it's always a sad time when a legend passes away, and, and I want to extend my condolences to the Suter family uh, and thank them for sharing Bruce with baseball and the rest of the baseball world. Okay, time to move on. A little more baseball news. Uh, Playoff news, as you will. They are rolling, and I'll get to the cards a little bit later. Uh, but in the American League, the Yankees and the Guardians are tied up now at one game apiece after Cleveland won today, won a postponed game today, 4-2 to two in 10 innings. Uh, Houston has a 2-0 lead over Seattle. And in the National League, after a 9-1 win today, the Phillies own a two games to one lead over Atlanta. And the Padres had the same advantage over the Dodgers after their 2-1 to win today. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, and I'm serious. I, I thought Cleveland and the Yankees would be a good series, but I did not expect to see the Braves and Dodgers down two games to one. I, I, that, that, to me, I... I wow. Um, so here's the really interesting part about that. Should... The Padres and the Phillies go on to win. Um, they would be the two lowest seeds on the National League side to be in the league championship game. Philly was the, Philly was the sixth seed, and um, um, San Diego was the five. So there's a little bit of. Uh, Interesting, uh, whatever you want on that. Uh, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, very seriously, and, and, and <laughs> got to be serious. But, well, okay, I'm laughing, so it's not serious. But uh, really, you know, you, you got to think that the stores in Seattle, L.A., and Atlanta might be running a little low on Tums, Rolades, Milk of Magnesia, Pepto-Bismol. I mean, guys might be using aromatherapy, meditation, anything to beat all this. I mean, you're down two games to zero or two games to one. You know, you're one game from being eliminated. The stress has got to be heavy. You know, uh, it's almost like going to buy a car. You know, that is, unless you buy from Fifth Street Motors. You know, we all know buying a car can be stressful, but Fifth Street Motors, located at 2044 Rose Lane in Pacific, Missouri, just a few miles from Six Flags, believes it doesn't have to be. See, at Fifth Street Motors, they will help you find the vehicle you need no matter what brand. And at Fifth Street Motors, they believe in giving you the best price on a pre-owned vehicle that fits your budget. So go ahead. Give Brandon or Don a call today at 
1306. And tell them Don Glenn from Talking on the Bleachers, Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. So, okay. I was going to talk a little SEC Big Ten with Uncle Frank, and we talked a little bit about the coaches who've been fired. Uh, Scott Frost in Nebraska, Paul Crist up in Wisconsin. Uh, and we were looking kind of some SEC coaches who might be sitting on the hot seat. And, uh, you know, the name that come up was second-year coach Brian Harson uh, at Auburn. Um, and I think he's definitely going to be under some duress this weekend as they get to play number nine Ole Miss. Uh, you know, I doubt if they lose to Ole Miss, he'll get fired. But, you know, uh, if they don't play well, if they don't show up, uh, you just never know. I mean, who would have thought Paul Chris would have been fired after getting beat by Illinois? I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. Uh, but we both agreed that the big game in the SEC this weekend is going to be number three Alabama at number six Tennessee, and that game is going to get the most attention. It'll be on CBS three thirty Eastern, you know. And after last week when Bama barely beat a spirited Texas A and M team and dropped two spots, they'll definitely be looking for some type of redemption. And I'm going to tell you this though, redemption isn't going to come easy, um, because you know Tennessee is five and zero. And they have three wins over ranked teams. They have been playing very, very well. Um, they've t they've been tested early in the season, uh, winning at seven, number seventeen Pitt, thirty four twenty seven in overtime. Then again, uh, two weeks ago, holding off Florida at home, thirty eight to thirty three. So even as good as Alabama is, I'm gonna tell you what. They better watch out because this group of volunteers are battle-tested and ready to do some elephant hunting. And I think they've got the ammunition loaded. We're going to see what happens. Uh, another good matchup in the SEC of uh, top 25 teams is going to put number 16 Mississippi State traveling to Kroger Field in Lexington to face the number 22 Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, uh, they are 4-2, and two, and they've uh, beat number 12 Florida a week or two, or in week two. Uh, played tough against uh, number 14 Ole Miss, losing by a field goal. But then last week they lost to South Carolina by 10. So who knows what Kentucky is? Um, I think they can play with, with uh, Mississippi State. Uh, but I think Mississippi State, uh, they're 5-1. and one. Their only loss come is, is, was at, uh, was, in, where, was in Baton Rouge against LSU. Um, and that really was the only game they've been tested. I mean, uh, they've won their other five games by an average of 24 points. Now, get this, 24 points, including an 18-point win over number 17, Texas A&M. So, I'm going to tell you what, serious midseason test for the Wildcats, I'm not sure they're going to pass. I, I, I mean, I'd like to see the Cinderella story, the, 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 the prominent basketball school have a football uh, success story, but I'm just not that confident it's going to happen with those guys. Uh, Snooze did a Big Ten. Uh, now, there's two games of high interest in both are There's actually three, but there's two big main ones. The third one is going to kind of be on the periphery, if you will. Now, the first one is, uh, and the big one, is number 10 Penn State, who is a perfect 5-0, and going up to Ann Arbor to take on the number five Michigan Wolverines, who are six and zero. Now Michigan, 
they played Indiana last week, and in the first half, it looked like Michigan might get upset. It was 10-10 at the halftime, but then Michigan took off in the second half and didn't look back. 21 unanswered points, and, uh, you know, the Hoosiers just went, okay. Uh, so... <laughs> Now, Penn State, though, had to rely on defense as well. I mean, as much as Michigan shut Indiana down, Penn State had to shut down um, Northwestern, uh, and they only won 17-7. to You know, they had, they had to clamp down on defense because the offense wasn't getting it done. Now, defensively, Penn State has held their last four of their five, excuse me, have held four of their last five opponents to under 100 yards in offense. Uh, they can only stop, uh, excuse me, rushing offense. Um, now, they cannot only stop the run, but they can also run the ball pretty well themselves, though. They've got a duo of Nicholas Singleton, 7.3 7 yards per carry, and Crate and Katron Allen, uh, 5.3 yards per carry. Now, this game can have big implications. I'm, a, and I'm serious when I say that. Because if Penn State can win this game, they would get a bye next week before hosting the only other undefeated team in the Big Ten East, Ohio State. If they could somehow win that game, they would control the Big Ten East. So, this is a very big game. A big game. If, if, if Penn State wins this game, it can really throw some things into, into a tizzy, if you will. You know, the other big game is uh, Minnesota traveling to Champaign, Illinois to do battle with the newly minted number 24 fighting Illini. Now, Minnesota's coming off a bye week after a 10-point loss at home to Purdue. Um, Illinois is averaging on opponents, excuse me, try that again. Illinois is averaging opponents only 8 points per game this season. Now, you think that's, and that's very good, but they're going to face as good a defense as they've got because Minnesota is only allowing opponents 8.8 .8 points per game. So we could see, I mean, Illinois won last week 9-6 to in a defensive struggle against Iowa. This could be that type of struggle. I mean, it really could. Um, although Iowa has a little bit better offense uh, than uh uh, excuse me, Minnesota has a little bit of offense than Iowa did. Um, but, uh, you know, this is going to be an interesting game. Now, Illinois is also perfect 4-0 at home and has not allowed, now gets this, people, Illinois has not allowed a touchdown at home all season. In the four games they've played at home, they have not allowed a touchdown. They are 4-0. And Minnesota is also 1-0 away from home. Say, so, hey, you know, we, we, like I said, this is shaping up to be a battle, folks. You know, both teams feature a tough as nails running back. Illinois has the nation's leading rusher in Chase Brown with a 879 yards this season. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, and he's coming off a 31 carry, 146 yard game versus Iowa, and has seven straight 100 yard games dating back to last season. Uh, not to be outdone, though, uh, and I mean this, Minnesota is, they've got a stud horse in their stable as well. Uh, running back Muhammad Ibrahim, uh, 567 yards, eight touchdowns this year. He has, and he has his own streak of 13 100 yard games straight, of course, dating back to last season. 
Um, now, this game is like the Penn State-Michigan game, and then it's huge for the Big Ten West. As Illinois has already beaten Wisconsin and Iowa, uh, both of whom are 1-2 and two now. Illinois is 2-1. and one. You know, A win against Minnesota puts Illinois in the driver's seat for a Big Ten West crown. Doesn't give it to them because there's a couple other teams, and I'm going to get to that game here in a sec, that have a say-so in this as well. And right now, those two teams are Nebraska and Purdue. Um, and I, in the fickle finger of fate, uh, Nebraska fires Scott uh, Frost after uh, it was game three. Was it the Georgia Southern game? They fired? After that game, they fired him. And they have turned around to, uh, uh, I mean, they lost Oklahoma, number, number six Oklahoma, but they posted back-to-back wins versus Indiana and Rutgers. They're 2-1 and one in the conference, uh, the same as Illinois. Um, you know, Purdue, they're riding a three-game winning streak since losing to Syracuse on uh, September 17th. Uh, both teams are giving up 20 points a game and scoring around 26 points a game. Now, the fun part about all of this, they play each other this week, <laughs> so you've got you've got three games that have potentially division changing possibilities. Uh, well, in the West, it's not a possibility; it's going to change the division. Uh, you know, uh, now Nebraska, you know they they're riding the arm of Casey Thompson. He's got four hundred and fourteen hundred ninety seven yards. Uh, with nine touchdowns, but he has thrown six interceptions. Uh, they've got a good running back in Anthony Grant, six hundred or six hundred forty-seven yards, five touchdowns, and uh, they've got a, a pretty nice receiver. Trey Palmer's got forty catches this year for five hundred forty-four yards and three touchdowns. Now Purdue has their own solid quarterback in Adrian O'Connell at fifteen hundred fifty-nine yards, ten TDs, four picks or only four picks. Uh, running game is split. They don't have a big stud horse, but they've got two guys that, that split the time, Devin Mockleby and uh, Dylan Downing. Uh, both have combined for over 500 yards and eight touchdowns. So Nebraska's going to have the hands full also containing the top wideout for Purdue at Charlie Jones, 603 yards and seven TDs. So I look for this game to be very tough. Um, between Nebraska and Purdue, but I think Purdue is probably going to pull away on this. Um, but if it goes the other way, this is this is the scenario. When I say this is the scenario that plays out, if Nebraska wins, if they beat Purdue and Illinois beats Michigan, both teams have a bye week next week. Both teams would be three and one in the Big Ten West. And guess who they play October 9, October 29th? Each other in Lincoln, Nebraska. So we're looking at we're looking at if Nebraska beats Purdue, Illinois beats Minnesota, October 29th will most likely be the battle for the Big Ten West. It's not a guarantee because Illinois still has to play Purdue. They still got to play uh, Michigan, Michigan State, and Northwestern. But, uh, I mean, if Illinois wins this week and they, and they say that Nebraska wins and they beat Nebraska, then you're looking at a situation where, you know, 
they're three, four, they're four and one in the conference. I mean, I don't know. And of course, and of course, the cool thing about it this week, if they beat Minnesota, they're bowl eligible already. Bowl eligible already, and they would have four games left on their schedule. Four or five games left on the schedule. Yeah. So you know, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's it's. I, you know, I guess the only protection for any of these teams is to win. If you win, you protect your lead. You know, and we all know how important it is to stay protected. Because sometimes life will throw you a curve, like what's going on in the Big Ten. And that's why you need Allstate. Now, the Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They will offer you a customized approach that's unique to your situation to make sure you your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also offer great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today, 636-764-6294. And they're going to help you with their quote right over the phone. Because that's how they roll, people. Now, even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. Because, you know, they do that too. Uh, we all have busy lives. So you can also email Sean. It's Sean Wiley at Allstate.com. And talk to him about your coverage options. <clears throat> Excuse me again. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. All right, I'm going to finish up with the Cardinals here. And first I want to say I'm not trying to tell people how to be a fan. Okay? So take this for what it's worth. But as my cousin is fond of saying, good God, Becky. The amount of people I see on Facebook and Twitter who are coming out and blaming Goldschmidt, Arenado, Wainwright, Molina, Marmol, they're just, I mean, I think they're just taking a dart and throwing it at a dartboard. Okay, we'll blame this guy for the way everything happened and how the season turned out, and especially in the playoffs. Now, I'm not saying that the weak hitting by Arenado and Goldie was, and not just in the playoffs, but the last month of the season didn't play into the misfortunes of the Cardinals going into the postseason. And, you know, affect what how, how things went. But really, no one was really hitting. I mean, if you look at it, they had a grand total of 12 hits and three runs in two games. So to try and sit there and blame it on two guys or one guy or the rookies or the coach or the hitting coach, stop it. Stop. Okay. People were upset the Pujols was playing in game two, facing a right-handed pitcher. You know what? He got two hits off of two different right-handed pitchers. Stop it! I mean, we had we had some hits, especially they had seven hits in that second game, and could have scored, should have scored some runs. I mean, could have scored some runs if we'd have had the hits strung together. If we'd had people on base. It happens. No, we don't like it. No, no. We wanted them to win. We wanted them to be, take Philly in two games, go on to Atlanta, come up with somehow steal three games in Atlanta, and then go into L.A. and take five games from the Dodgers and go to the World Series. That's what we all wanted. Guess what? We don't always get what we want, people. It's going to happen. So to sit there and try to point the fingers and blame this guy, why did he do that? You know, I'm sick of it. All right? 
We are not on the field. We are not in the clubhouse. We are not at the workouts. We don't know why they're playing these guys. Oh, yeah, we can speculate. Well, the only reason Paul Young's playing because he's making $6 million this year. Bullshit. Okay? Okay, well, maybe not bullshit. I mean, he may, that may be part of it because, you know, you're not going to pay somebody this is six, it's like paying Mark, Matt Carpenter $19 million to sit on the bench. Um, but you're not, you know, but to say that that's the only reason he's playing? No. I mean, he's still a very good defensive shortstop. Um, does have his hitting woes, and, you know, I'll get to it a little bit later, but I do think that his time in St. Louis is probably over. Um, you know, a lot of people will question Marmel's handling the pitching staff, pulling the starters to really leaving Hell's lean too long, especially in game one. Now here there is some traction, and I will and I'll and I'll I'm gonna I'll stand behind this. Um yes. I, I he probably did pull Quintana uh too early. He probably did pull Michaelis too early. Uh I don't think I would have gone two innings with Helsley. I think I would have brought him in for maybe a batter or two like he did in the eighth, and then I would have went to somebody else in the ninth. Uh, so, yes, I get that, and I think that's legitimate. It is legitimate to say, why did Marmol do that? We don't like the way he handled it. That is 100% legitimate. But to sit there and say he doesn't know what he's doing, which I've heard seen people do on, or say on Facebook and Twitter, you know, you know, Marmol's an idiot because this is the way because he doesn't have a handle a pitching staff. I'm sorry, but you didn't have a bitch all year about it. Why are you just not getting into it? You know. What I'm saying? Um. Now, all of this griping and finger pointing has led to more renewed calls to fire Jeff Albert. Okay, people, if you were happy with with, with the way uh, Brendan Donovan showed up. If you liked the uh, way Yepes was hitting home runs, Gorman, uh, even though he had some problems later, um, and if you are following at all Jordan Walker down in the minor leagues, let me explain something to you. They are using Jeff Albert's system. So to say you got to fire Jeff Albert is meaning you're trying to fire some modicum of success. Um, you know, his system is being taught all throughout the minors. You know, you're seeing guys tear up the minors using Jeff Albert's system. Okay? You know, well, Gorman didn't hit well when he got up. You know, if you go back and look at Gorman, and this is serious, honest to God truth, if you go back and look at Gorman through his minor league career, every time he's gone up a level, he struggled. The next year, he came back to that level and succeeded. So I look for Gorman to have a big year next year. Well, I mean, not a big year, but a good year next year. I think a, a, a more a year more what we wanted, we thought we were going to get out of him. Um, you know, and some of the hateful comments I see about Carlson, DeYoung, O'Neill, Kisner, Gagos, even Yachty and Pujols. You know, uh, people are just getting downright filthy and nasty. And you know, I, I'm going to tell you this: take a chill pill. I mean, come on. You know, much was made of Carlson being the reason that we didn't get so get, make the Soto trade. And while there is a thread of truth to that, it's not what people think. Now, please follow along. Because it's not that the Cardinals valued Carlson as a better player than Soto. 
That would be stupid. That would be insanely stupid to say that. But what they did value in Carlson was his ability to play center field. And the reason that was important because they knew there was, being, there was interest in Harrison Bader. Even injured. They had, there was a, you know, and they could, they could use Harrison to get pitching. They knew this before, probably before the, the, the talks of Soto ramped up. So they knew they were going to have a hole in center field. If you trade Carlson for Soto and you trade Bader for Montgomery, you have no center fielder. You are, you got Soto and right. Soto can't <coughs> can't play the entire outfield. Yes, Newt Bar played a lot of center and did very well, but that means you got Dickerson and left, which is what happened. Um. So yeah, they needed an outfield. They should they should have did a little bit better on that, but. But Carlson was not the main reason. Now, if you want to try and see who the main reason might be, it's Jordan Walker. Because everybody was saying, and I think it's well documented, maybe not documented, but well believed, I should say, that the Nationals wanted Jordan Walker. Uh, he was their prize at the end of the tunnel. And and I think what the Cardinals were looking at was, you know, maybe not this year, but next year. Okay, if we have Soto and we got Carlson, or if we have Soto, we've got Newt Bar, we still don't have a left fielder, and if it's Carlson and Walker that has to go to get Soto, we still don't have a left fielder. Now we got to find somebody. Now it's a, now it's bringing you maybe Donovan, maybe Burleson. Burleson didn't show much this year, uh, but if again he's a small sample size, short cup of coffee. Uh, Deluzio, same thing, very small sample size. So we don't know what those guys are going to be. Uh, we do know what Jordan Walker is doing and doing down in Memphis and right now in the, in the fall league. He's tearing it apart, people. Um, I think he will be in left field next year. I do see them getting uh, doing something with Tyler O'Neill. I don't know what they're going to do with Tyler O'Neill. Uh, move him to center. I, I mean, I'm ready. I, I don't like usually saying it this way, but I'm ready to cut bait on Tyler O'Neill because, quite frankly, he's just too injured. He's been too many injuries, and I just think it's 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 time that we probably found a different. Uh, he found a different home, uh, and um, you know maybe. Uh, I mean, if he could make a DH out of him, fantastic. But we've already got Yepes, who I think is going to be your DH, um, just primarily because he doesn't really have a defensive position to play uh, that he is better than anybody else on the team. So I think you're going to see him at DH. So uh, that spot's taken. Uh, if Walker comes up, he's going to have to play somewhere. Um, Newt Bar showed that he can play, so I think you'll see an outfield of in some form or fashion of Walker, Newt Bar, Carlson. How, what positions they've got, I don't know. Probably Carlson center, Newt Bar and right, Walker and left. That would be my guess. Um, now here's the other thing though with Soto. Had we gotten Soto, do you really think having him? would have stopped Goldie and Arenado from falling off the cliff offensively? I mean, come on. So I said it during the whole Soto sweepstakes thing. 
One player was not going to change this team. One player is not going to change this team. And I'm going to say it again this offseason, because I hear it right now. People say, we need to get Trey Turner. We need to get Trey Turner. He'll make us a champion. No, he won't. Not by himself. We need a catcher, because they haven't got that figured out yet. Herrera, small again, like Burleson, a couple of guys, small cup of coffee, so we don't know what he can do in the major leagues. But is he ready? If he was that ready, why wasn't he the backup to Yachty this year? So you're going to have him back up to Kisner next year? I don't think that's going to work. You're going to have to find a solid uh, veteran catcher. Uh, and the only one that's that, that comes to mind right now is, is uh, Wilson Contreras. I think that's the guy you want to go after. Now, some people are saying trade for Sean Murphy. Um, that's an option, and you know maybe, but but I think catchers are going to deal. They're going to deal with that. Uh, but I'll get into some of that down the road. I'm I'm not going to deal with that much today. Um, but now uh, well, the final thought on what this year is, and I'm not saying this roster was set as a certified division winner and championship contender. Uh, I would be fairly. I would need to be fairly well inebriated to make that statement, uh, and I'm not. So I'm not. Um, making that statement that is. So first of all, Mats was not enough in the offseason. The rotation needed help. And even if Mats had not been injured, he would not have been enough. And even if the rotation hadn't suffered the injuries it did to to Flaherty, Mats was not enough. They needed a second pitcher. They didn't get it. Second was bench strength. And I thought the signing of Dickerson as a DH bench bat fourth outfielder was not realistic. I mean, as a DH bench bat, maybe I see that. But I think the better option for a DH bench bat would have been Kyle Schwarber. Big, big bat. You don't really need him to play fourth outfielder because you had Lars Newtbar. Um, so I, 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 I think bench strength, you know, and adding Pujols, bringing him back. Now, hey, I was one that said we could do it if we made the right moves in other parts of the line. But we didn't make those right moves. But I still think the signing was fine uh, because, let's face it, he hit 703 home runs for his career, did it as a St. Louis Cardinal, went out at the, maybe at the top, maybe not the top of his game, but he went out playing like at least a version of the Albert we used to know. And that was more than well. Now, people say, well, it was the only reason they wanted him back was like put fans in the seats. Well, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. But it worked, and he did pay some dividends. So, you know, uh, as much as, but I still think the bench, the bench was just not well thought out. Um, third was shortstop. Now, I was a big advocate of getting a shortstop in the offseason because there was a plenty of around. I mean, you had Story and Seaman and Carrera and Baez and uh, a couple others. And, you know, I wasn't high on Story, uh, but like I said, I was, you know, like Marcus Seaman, I think he would have been a good one. Like Seeger would have been a good one. Um, you know, but it, 
I just didn't I didn't think they could go into the season with the young and of course I think everybody saw that and we were right uh, they couldn't and they did and they tried and it didn't work um, so you end up with Tommy Edmond playing shortstop and uh, I you know I kind of like the Edmund Gorman or Edmund Donovan uh, combination at short second uh, I really do so I think if they can upgrade the outfield upgrade catcher um, they can leave Edmund alone, leave him at short, and I think everything's going to work out fine. Now, fourth was the experienced bullpen help. I think they needed that. I thought they needed that. I was a big, big behind getting a veteran like a Brad Hand. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be somebody who's going to get you 30, 40 saves. Just somebody that is a, that is a veteran presence in that bullpen, yes, you had Wainwright and Michaelis who have who probably have pitched out of the pen, and they, but they are not bullpen guys. They're starters. You needed a experienced bullpen hand to help steady those young kids, and I don't, and I they just didn't do it. And I think, um, you know, it just that's one thing they needed. And I think they're still going to need it. Uh, so like I said we're going to get into. A, I'll get into those uh, down the road as far as. Uh, uh, who, uh, what we going to go after? But one last thing on the whole fan thing. Yes, you have the right to question, critique, and even get mad when things go wrong. But spewing hate, calling people players garbage or trash—that's not cool or funny. We can criticize and still have a little class, guys. I mean, come on, okay? All right, I'm going to climb down from the soapbox now. <laughs> Uh, and I think we're going to go ahead and end her today. Uh, so thank you for joining me tonight. And like I say, I hope to get Russ on next week. Also, hockey season has started, so I'm going to try and, and uh, get Guy Bensing back on to talk a little bit of blues hockey. Uh, so if you like the show, let me know. Go to the show's website, talkingsports-otb-gcs.onpodium.com or on Twitter, at TSOTBGCS. And then tell your friends the show, where the show can be found. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, so long for now. Until we see you again when we can be talking sports on the bleachers. See you soon, folks. Sports on the Bleachers is a member of the Gateway City Sports Network. Have a great sports day, folks.